Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. If you do that for a half-baked Irishman, what do you do for Jesus when he walks out? Um, all right, thank you. You guys are dismissed. I remember my John Wayne movies. You never have anyone behind your back. <laughs> um, you, you can be seated. I have so loved it. Margaret and I, you shouldn't compare, and I'm not comparing, but man alive, if there's such a thing as instant addiction, We've become addicted to you in just a few days. It's, 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 abs- it's, man, when you've been preaching, and I, I've been preaching for 50 years, just over 50 years, um, every now and again, Father just puts a whole bunch of icing on the cake and lets you come into an environment that reminds you it's possible. Yeah, um, And the DNA of this house, but much more importantly, and I guess because of it, the heart of the house needs to impregnate city after 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 city. And if there's one thing I know Pastor Jürgen is, and I know I said Sunday morning about the hubs, but I believe there's a apostolic grace on your life to to plant hubs, to to extend hubs, to to take churches that would be great good great churches, but make them into multiplying churches. Yeah, and I I I, I am so grateful that Margaret and I were allowed to be here. It's just been, it's been a wonderful experience for us. And, and there's so many I'd like to thank, you know, Colby. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I've got an executive assistant and I, the, the, what they do, you know, just, it's just amazing and, and make us look much better than we are. And uh, it, it's incredible. And Eddie and Kelly, you know, fantastic, fantastic. It's interesting, though, isn't it? He's got a hobby racing cars and whatnot, but she's faster behind the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, but, but all those wonderful people that took us out to dinner that first night, Tom and Becky and Drew and Emma and just it, the whole experience has been quite, quite wonderful and enriching and empowering and I want to thank you for that. Um, tonight I'm like a racehorse in the gate. Um, I, I can't wait to get into the collective because I am just believe that we've landed on such good soil here. And when I hear you share uh, tonight, I leaned over twice to Margaret and said, that's what I'm on tonight. 
That's what I'm saying tonight, you know. Uh, um, and so there's like this Holy Spirit buzz is going on. And um, so, yeah, I'm excited about that. Before that, though, um, I keep thinking there's a step there and I'm going to break my neck. No, that, no, 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 that's right. You don't. Before, no, no, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. I can walk. I'm not. It's quite all right. But I, I just thought before we start preaching, because I'm from Australia now, they've got a thing called walkabout. And so, but can I correct your senior? Is it, is it permissible to correct the senior minister? Well, well, actually, I was more thinking of a BMW, but anyway, so the, the um, <laughs> if I'm allowed to make, see, tonight's different. I, I, I'm not even going to glance up at the clock. So the, the, but I need to correct your apostolic leader, which is not a great thing to do in front of the congregation. But he did make reference to us being New Zealanders. Now, this one isn't a New Zealander. <laughs> but I'm born in Northern Ireland. That makes, that makes me Irish. And you might say, what on earth relevance has that got? Well, a lot. Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And what love cannot possibly cover, you knowing I'm Irish, will cover the rest. All right. <laughs> Young man here. Um, I don't know anybody's name, so I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm pointing at you. Um, Two things, not connected necessarily at all, could be. Two things. One, the Lord will fully redeem dark moments of the past. And I have no idea what that means. Number two, he's going to unlock a creative well inside of you. And in the years that lie ahead, you're going to be known for your creative thinking. The fact that you're going to think outside of the box. Uh, people are going to see this and your brain and your imagination is going all over here. But it's going to be imagination divinely directed. And if there's one thing that I could say to you tonight, dare to... Within the context, within the context of prayer and intimacy with God and surrender, within that context, dare to allow your mind to know the imaginations because God is going to breathe into them creative ideas, completely outside of the box. All right? Yeah. Okay. There's um, a couple back here more mature. Um, you've you, you, you got, both got glasses on, right? 
give me a little wave so you know who I'm... Yeah. yeah. Um, the Lord just told me then that he's making you bridge builders. And you're going to be ones that bridge between generations and it's going to be it's going to be I can see you like people of your age and even older my age uh, um, and people like this I can see you with a hand holding one and a hand holding the other and you're causing them to have greater understanding of each other and so the strengths from each generation can be harnessed to be in harmony rather than attacking each other. So um, I really feel there's a spirit of Caleb on you both, that, that, that you're, you're able to jump the generation, keep in stride with a new generation. Okay, Lord bless you. And... Um, the con there's um, the word conviction um, in the years that lie ahead you're going to be known for your unshakable convictions um, it's like rock like and and God's going to place you into environments where they are so they're almost they're arrogant really in in their in their feeling that they are education and their learning and their yeah human understanding is so great and they're going to try and bamboozle you and i can see you standing there and saying I know what I know. And there, there's a conviction. A, a man with a conviction is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And you're, you're, you, but what I felt Father just say to me was in that hour, you not only need to know what you believe, but why you believe it. And I see you you're obviously a lover of the word, but I see that going to a, a different phase. And it's a very analytical phase uh, whereby uh, Holy Spirit is speaking to you about a certain subject. And, and so you, you, you get all the scriptures on that so that if anyone should ever dare press your button, it's like a machine gun. You know? <laughs> You 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 want you want twenty three scriptures on it, right? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, um, and, and it's like it's like there's no argument, um, but that doesn't come easy. That that's a lot of application. That's a lot of getting into the word. That's a lot of, and I'm pre what I'm preaching on tonight, uh, which I'm really buzzed about. Uh, this is me being highly contained. Um, they, they, 
I want you to get a hold of it in your spirit and get the scriptures on it because it's going to be a mark of who you are. Okay. Thank you. Good. Um, the, um, you know, the wonderful thing about our father is that, and this has already been said, so I'm not just repeating it really, but just a minute, I'll get to it in a minute. Well, what I, what I was going to say, what I, what, what I was going to say was, everybody in this room is loved equally by my father. And so, therefore, everybody that has a genuinely hungry heart, desirous heart, will be spoken to tonight, as sure as I've spoken to these. Because Father responds to hunger. Okay, so just letting you know that. Now, um, I don't know what you do for a living or anything like that, who you are, what anything, but but there's going to be a healing grace in your life. You're going to you're going to be one that takes. You know that story in the Bible where uh, the water was bitter, and so they. The, the prophet said, well, take the, twi what was it, something, and toss it in. A and you're going to be someone that you can touch uh, embittered, troubled waters and bring healing and restoration in their hearts. So, so don't be surprised with the, don't be surprised with the journey. God will allow your heart to be touched at times so that you're able to identify with people. Okay? And that's, and that's not a negative. That's just saying that, that there are a thousand people out there that can quote the book and quote the scripture on it and be like a clinical technician. You know, you should do that. You should do this. But God wants a generation of people that can feel what he feels. That can touch the heart of an individual. Okay? So that's going to be a mark of who you are. Mm. Yeah. Please. Um. Uh, young man there. Right in the middle. Mm. Um... Trying to work out what on earth this means. Um, it's like, I'll just say it. It's, it's like a kid that goes looking for one big marble. Do they have marbles over here? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he's got his eyeballs on this one big marble. And instead, he finds six or seven small marbles. And uh, there's like an air of disappointment about that. But in actual fact, as he picks them up, collectively, they become far more powerful. And it's like God has, over the years, deposited things in your life that 
in themselves as an individual deposit, they may not seem that big or, or loud, but when the synergy, it's like God's bringing you into a seed. 2017 will be a where God begins to connect the dots. Now I know why that's there. Now I know why that's there. And suddenly that is connected to that, and that's connected to that, and that's connected to that. And God is going to bring you forth out of this year as someone who's, and the best way I know how to put it is like um, where everything is working together. Where the different parts of who you are is actually, yeah, functioning like it always was designed to function. Okay? But without striving. Without striving. Without striving. And I want to say this to you. I know that you would know it, but I just want to obey my father's heart. And he, he's just saying, you've got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to prove. You are his son now. You've got nothing left to prove. You're his son right now. Right now. He doesn't want any improvement. He doesn't want any... You're his son right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Yeah. Right. The, um, um, I keep walking over here for the steps. Father, tonight I pray that that which I'm about to share will not be eloquent words to the mind, but will be transformational to the heart. Father, we ask Holy Spirit to actually give every person in this room an aha moment, a, 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 a revelation. Flesh and blood cannot reveal this. So Holy Spirit, come and, and let it be a, an explosion of, of realization and conviction within their hearts. For Lord, I pray for every eye to be open. And Father, we be careful to give you alone the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to imagine tonight that two different people, types of people, have been given an invitation by the Prime Minister of England to come and have a private audience. And what he says to them is this. Now, by the way, we'll be here for a while, so no one get nervous, all right? I, I know what the clock says, but we'll go, we just have to... Um, so... Um, the fact of the matter is that he says to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make out a list of anything and everything that I could do for you to make your life better, to make your life amazing and good. And he, the list and the, invita the invitation goes to two t very different kind of people, a beggar and royalty. Now, before I get into that, I want to show you a, a PowerPoint of two very different types of beggars. Okay, let's have a look at the first beggar. 
by faith. <laughs> okay. Do you not have the PowerPoints? Okay. Of a, that's all right. I am Irish. I can paint pictures. Um, so, okay, but you don't have any PowerPoints on that. The two beggars and then the two different types of royalty. That's all right. Hey, cool, cool. Not a problem. Okay, the first one that I was going to show you was a, a beggar in the streets of some terrible country um, and he was a cripple and a broken and he had absolutely no choice in the matter whatsoever he was born in poverty born in disease born and raised in an environment of desolation and poverty and disease and he has no option whatsoever about being a beggar because it's beyond his control and the second uh, one that I would, would have shown you is a man that is in a, um, he's dressed more or less like anybody here, but, and he's bending over in the street with a cup and he's begging. But when you take a look at the photograph around you, around him, you would see that, that, that people are walking past in good gear uh, um, and obviously quite a contemporary sort of situation. And the photograph was actually taken in a Western uh, city with very good social welfare programs. And so why on earth is the man begging? Well, he's begging because he's a beggar in his heart. And so this man, this man, when he gets the invitation to come and see the Prime Minister of England and present his list, he, now, I tell you what, friends, you could dress that man in an Armani suit and you can give him a Gucci shoes, you could put a Rolex watch on his wrist, but I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. He will come into there and he'll be overawed and, uh, and intimidated by the entire surroundings. And as he itches his way in the door, he is petrified about even being there. And his hand slips into his pocket and he begins to screw up the list he just made out. And then he sidles his way to the door and slips out, having gained absolutely nothing. Why? Because the Prime Minister uh, 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 cancelled the list because he, he was rejected? No, no, not at all. No, because he actually did not feel worthy about being in the room. He was entirely intimidated about being in the premises. And so he went out of there for one reason only. He was dressed different. He had an incredible suit on, but he was still a beggar in his heart. And then, then I was going to show you a slide of King George V or whatever he was, standing there with, with all of his glory on and his crown on his head and his scepter and he it was smothered with royal robes and crowns and jewels, all the rest of that. And I'll tell you what, friends, listen to me. He, he, he looked every inch, every inch 
the royal monarch. And then the, the, the fourth slide would have been of a woman with just ordinary civvy clothes on and in this kind of ridiculous hat. <laughs> but oh, the face. See, she's the queen. She's the queen. Queen Elizabeth. And, and, and if you'd taken a look at her and stared at her, the, the photograph in particular, such dignity, such strength, such regal uh, 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 security about that woman. And do you know something about her? You can dress her in gumboots. You could put an oilskin coat on that woman. You could stick her amongst the cows in the field, but you couldn't change that face. She is the queen, whether she's in a paddock or in a palace. And I'll tell you something, when she makes out a list, she doesn't even have to go to the prime minister. He comes to her and he bows when he does. Why? Because well, she's a queen. So I have a question. And it's a very, very good question. And the que oh, sliders, thank you. She's a great young lady, this. She holds up her thing so that you don't know anything about it. And it says, slide is up. <laughs> but look at that face. Look at that face. It wouldn't matter what you dressed that woman in. Because she knows who she is. And I've got a question to you. You can cut it off now. I've got a question for you. When it comes through to walking through life, when it comes to making known the desires that God has placed within you, pursuing the commission and the calling that God has within you, what attitude do you possess? We heard about prayer tonight, and I am passionately believer in prayer, but let me ask you something. How do we pray? Because if you're a beggar, you will plead and you will beg. You'll be insecure, you'll be intimidated. But if you're a king, if you're a queen, if you're royalty, then you embrace life and the throne of heaven with confidence, with dignity, and with security, and boldness, and with authority. Why? Because you happen to know who you are. So, so who do you see when you look in the mirror? Now, some, some, some very spiritualized person will say, oh, I see Jesus. Well, that's good. Do you see a carpenter or a king? You see, who you see in that mirror determines how you live life. It determines how you represent your father. It determines how, to what degree you will ever fulfill your greater life calling. And I want us to get a Revelation chapter 1, 5 to 6, and I believe that's there too. Um, and I want to read to you actually what the Bible says about you before we get into it. Revelation 1, 5 and 6, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests 
to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And we traditionally have merged that phrase into one phrase, but actually it's not written that way. It says, and he has made us kings as well as priests unto our God. It's not a seamless statement. Our priesthood is our worship, our adoration, our love, our affection, our praise. But our kingship is what we do on his behalf. One is a ministry unto him and one is a ministry on his behalf. It's very different. And we have so misunderstood this phrase, ruler of the kings of the earth. Ask yourself a question. When you take a look at most of the rulers of countries around this world tonight, how many of them recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and honor him as king? Not many. But verse 6 tells us who he's referring to. He has made him, what? He's made him ruler over the kings of the earth. And then he tells us who the kings are. He says, it's you. He says, he made you kings as well as priests. We've got a great handle on our priesthood, but God wants us to get a handle on our kingship. You see, Jesus is the supreme king of the earth. But he sent me here tonight to tell you that you're his delegated kings on the earth. And it's only as we exercise our kingship on his behalf and under his command that this world will ever see Jesus as he really, really is. And you know, from the beginning, it was never any different. Father simply, Father decided to have a son and a daughter. And he placed them on the earth. And he said, this is the way it's going to work. You and I, we will walk together as a father would with a son and a daughter. And we will walk together in the cool of the garden. And there I will breathe into you my desires for this planet Earth and the things that burden my heart. And then I'm going back to glory. And you will bring to pass on the Earth what I breathed into you in the garden. And for thousands of years, depending on your biblical theology, they simply operated that way. That, that, that whatever father breathed into their heart in the garden was executed upon the earth. But we know the story. But the plan never changed. It's, simple, it's simply that, good, that that man gave up that authority. Because, you see, and a lot of people don't understand this, when God actually gave Adam, that's the word, Hebrew word for mankind, Adam, Adam and Eve, when he gave them authority and rulership on the planet, you have to understand something. He spoke it out to the cosmos. The entire universe heard that commission, and God was forever eternally tied to his words. And he says, I have given dominion to you, mankind, authority to rule over. But here's the thing. Such was the unqualified nature of that investment of authority that they not only had the authority to rule the planet, they had the authority to give it away. And so it was that when they, when they received the advice of Satan, they abdicated. 
Why? Because sooner or later you end up bowing to the one whose advice you receive. And so it was that they abdicated. They literally made him king of the earth. And you say, come on now. Well, when Jesus meets him in the wilderness and, and Satan says to Jesus, I can give you all the nations of the earth because they have legally been given to me. He wasn't lying. The king and queen of the earth had handed him the planet. And friends, I want you to begin to see something what had taken place at that time because our God never gave up. Our God never gave the planet up. He, he didn't call it quits, no. He, 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 wa he wanted the planet back under his dominion and under his rule and under his authority, but he had a dilemma. Now, no one would dispute God's power to get rid of Satan. Look, one flick of his fingers and he could have sent Satan to Mars. God never lacked the power to take the planet back. But there was a problem. He'd given the authority to take the planet back to mankind. Mankind had been installed to be the authority on the earth. And so the only way to get the planet back was to have it come back under the authority of mankind, but mankind that was completely submitted to the will and intention and heartbeat of the Father, even as Adam and Eve were in the beginning. And what we have to realize is that Jesus had to come as a man. Why? Because only man had the authority to take the planet back. Yeah. On, the, on the cross, Jesus paid the redemptive price for mankind. But in the wilderness, he took the planet back. In the wilderness, the second Adam, as he's called, faced the same temptation, but he refused to quit. And he just took the planet back in the wilderness and reestablished. And you have to understand something tonight because it's meaningless unless you do. He did that in his humanity. He did not do that as God Almighty. He did that as a son under the dominion of his father and exercised his rule. He was mankind taking the planet back so that mankind could once again see the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. You see... He, Jesus simply came to, to represent his father's rule and dominion and then gave you and I the same commission. He said, I came to represent my father's dominion on the earth and now, now you're called to represent my dominion on the earth. Do you know one of the most misunderstood uh, uh, words in the Bible is the word kingdom. And we apply it so many different ways, but Jesus used it again and again and again and again. Preach the kingdom, uh, speak the kingdom, live the kingdom, demonstrate the kingdom. But he only ever used one word. 
which comes via the Greek language, the word basilia. And do you know what it means literally translated? The authority to rule over. You can look it up in any Greek dictionary. The authority to rule over. So what, is, what, what, what happened when Jesus was here? Christ, he said, if I heal the sick, you'll know the kingdom has come. Why? Because my authority over sickness has just come. He said, if I cast out demons, you'll know the kingdom's come. Why? Because my authority over demons has just been demonstrated. He's, we see, when he fed 5,000 men plus women and children with a little boy's lunch, what was it? Oh, that was the kingdom. Why? Because his authority to rule over. A fish and bread and multiply it miraculously. You see, it was being demonstrated. His authority to rule over was being expressed. So, and we were called to do the same thing. And do you know what? In the book of Acts, in the early church, it, just, it worked powerfully. The, the blind eyes were open. The dead were raised. Thousands were swept into the kingdom. Why? Because they understood. They had the authority to rule over. You see, they didn't have to puff it up and huff it up and, and you know, stomp up enough faith to get the job done. No, they just simply knew who they were. They were sons and daughters of the Father invested with authority and dominion, and they ruled over. What do you think it is when, when Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I, read it for yourself, such as I have, I give unto you. Now get up and walk. What was that? Oh, that was the kingdom. His authority to rule over. So what happened to it all? Well, the church went into decline. Just a little bit of history will help. The church went into decline. And before long, it became corrupted. And then we the church entered what the historians called the Dark Ages. Anybody heard of them? in which politics ruled the church and pagan customs were introduced and then they sent up, uh, set up prince bishops and gave them armies to subjugate the people and for generation after generation they plundered the people, they raped the people, they burned the people at stake and if they wanted your land they branded you a heretic and burnt you and then took your land. And so for generation after generation after generation uh, the, the, the hierarchy of the so-called church who just plundered and raped and stole everything from left, right, and center and set themselves up with private armies. So when, but listen to me, when the reformers came, they rewrote theology, but they rewrote theology with this background of shocking abuse of power. So what did they do? Oh, they rewrote theology to totally exclude any reference to authority and dominion and ruling over and kingship. Now, now a mark of a person's spirituality was not how much spiritual authority and dominion and miracles that they had. No, no, no. Now, now a mark of someone's spirituality was how low, how deprived, how, how, how poverty-ridden somebody could become. And so now if you were, if you were in a simple uh, a monk's robe and sitting on a pile of ashes for three years on water and bread, you were the heights of spirituality because self-denial was a symbol of to spirituality and the need to be proven as humble overcame the truth of God's word. 
And so when we now, within the time when God is restoring and restoring and restoring, he wants to set some things straight. And one of, the, one of the major stumbling blocks has been we have totally misunderstood the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus made it quite clear. I do not come to be served. I come to serve. But man, have we misunderstood that. And have we misapplied that? Let me put it straight for you. Every reference in the New Testament to us being a servant or serving is descriptive of our relationship with God and with people. But every reference to us being kings or ruling or taking dominion on the earth is descriptive of our relationship with the demonic with sickness, with poverty, with any other element on the earth that dares to defy the will of our Father which is in heaven. When Jesus, when Jesus was addressing broken humanity, he was automatically the servant. But when he addressed the sickness or the demonic in that humanity, he was automatically the king. And he was there to enforce the will of his father in relation to the natural forces on the earth. He saw them as completely under his dominion. They were there to serve the will of his father. He could, he could command fish to go from one side of the boat to the other. He could command a storm to cease with a word. Why? Because he was king of the earth. He had dominion over them. He had taken the planet back. Just like, just, just like the first son and daughter, the Adam and Eve, Adam, he was placed on the earth to be a son and to rule over so that the will of his father might be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And for Jesus, there was no incompatibility whatsoever with having the heart of a servant towards mankind and having the heart of a king towards anything that needed to be subdued and brought into line with the will and intention of his father. Let me put it this way to you. That local council or local government or what, whatever your term is over here, just imagine a situation where, where the local council is forbidding your building permit. What should our responses be? Oh, quite clearly, Jesus made it quite clear that local council should be loved, should be honored, should be esteemed, should be valued. But the demonic powers that have dared to influence them should be ruled over and taken authority and dominion. You see, we have been so passive we have been so passive. I've got some incredibly good news for any of you with one element of Irish in you. I got, now that's most of the human race because God knew that you couldn't possibly survive without us. But I got good news. And for me, it was particularly good news. Here it goes. And I want everybody to hear it in your heart. Get this one in your heart. A king 
is not a king because they're smarter than anybody else. A king is not a king because they're more educated than anybody else. A king is not a king because they, 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 they have passed some incredible exam. Do you know the only reason a king is a king? Because they're born a king. The only reason a queen is a queen is because she was born a queen. You can elect a prime minister, you can elect a president, but you can't elect a king. You can't elect a queen. Why? Because it's in the seed of their conception they are born one. When King Solomon came to the throne, it wasn't because he was having a great day. It wasn't because he was feeling particularly spiritual. It wasn't because he had a great personality. It wasn't because he had been educated well. It was simple. It was in the seed of his conception. He happened to be his father's son. He was of royal conception. You getting hold of this? Because 1 Peter 1.23, and I've quoted it twice since I've been here already, says very, very clearly, when we were born again, we were born this time not of natural seed, but of his his, his incorruptible seed, the royal seed of the Father. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible said it. You see, friends, how, how was Jesus, and I said this the other night, but many of these weren't there, and, and, and it's like two showers of rain. It gets the seed you know what I mean? Sometimes we need to hear it two times, three times, four, as many times as necessary for it to drop into place. How, how was Jesus, the Son, brought onto this planet? How? Well, I'll tell you how. The Bible tells in what is it, John 1.14, it tells you how. He was the eternal word. He was equal and he was, he was God always. But he wasn't just son always. He was the eternal word, the Bible says. Equal with God and one with God. But how did he become the son? How did he become ruler of the earth? How did that happen? Oh, the Bible's quite clear that the DNA of God, the royal seed of the father, was impregnated into the womb of a virgin called Mary, a human being, and when that came forth, a son was born. And friends, what do you think happened to you at the moment of you becoming a Christian? You didn't change religion. You didn't suddenly get all spiritual. It was something incredibly more than that. The Holy Spirit took the DNA of God, the seed of the Father, and he impregnated a human body. And a son was born. A daughter was born. Listen, you and Jesus have the same father. And you were born of the same seed. So if that's true, and it is, you see, Jesus walked this earth clothed in humanity and servanthood but possessing the heart and the authority of a king. Why? Why? Because he was his father's seed. And so are you. 
So are you. So take a look at this firstborn. Take a look at this pattern, son. Take a look at him for a moment because the Bible says he's our prototype. His authority over the demonic was that of a king. His authority over infirmity was that of a king. His sense of command in the storm was that of a king. His peace and security when mere mortals accused him was that of a king. His explosion of authority in the temple was that of a king. His dignity when they crucified him was still that of a king. The Bible says there's 10,000 angels at his command. He chose not to bring them in. Why? Because he was still in command. He was still the king. His demonstrated power at his resurrection was that of a king. Oh, please hear me. You, you, you could put him in the wilderness. You could put him in the carpenter shop. You could put him in a synagogue. You could put him in the upper room. You could clothe him with common raiment. You could put him in a loincloth, but you couldn't change who he was. He was the king. He is the king. And the... And the whole point is that if we, you and I are ever going to accurately reflect him in this world, we must once and for all accept that we are now called to walk this earth clothed in humanity but possessing the heart of a king. You're not like a son to him, you are his son. Oh, I'm not preaching that you're God. I'm not saying that at all. You're not God, you'll never be God. Not even a little one. <laughs> but I'm telling you something right now. That just as Adam was in the beginning, so are we now. Just as Jesus was in his humanity, so are we now. There is no difference between Jesus in his humanity and you and I tonight. We have the same Father. We have the same commission. We have the same Holy Ghost. We've been born of the same seed. We will never be God We'll never be God, but I'm telling you what, in every, everything else other than his divinity, we are now as he was then. You know, I love this. Because, friends, listen to me. <laughs> you never have to try to be a king. Oh, it's so liberating. But it doesn't matter how I feel Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock. And it doesn't matter how I feel Friday night at 11 o'clock. It doesn't matter. I am a king. I can't be anything else. Why? Because I'm my father's son and I'm born of his seed. <laughs> Friends, listen to me. With my first birth, I was born an Irishman. But with my second birth... Oh, I was born a king, a son of my father. And listen to me. I will not dishonor the price he paid by abdicating that authority just to try and religiously communicate false humility. I honor my father best by representing him well. I honor him best by fulfilling the call of God upon me. We need a fresh perception of who we really are. We need to wake up every morning of our lives with this revelation burning in our hearts. 
And of course, the devil will do everything he can to stop you getting that revelation. Why? Because he knows the moment it goes from your head to your heart, you are going to blow his kingdom to pieces. See, now we're going to start working towards the possibility of a probable close. A lot of people Spirit of naughtiness. Well, now, <laughs> see, a lot of people, how many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis? Yeah, a lot of people know C.S. Lewis, the author. C.S. Lewis, Lewis, yeah, uh, you know, great guy who wrote Chronicles of Narnia. Wonderful, amazing. But how many in the room realize that C.S. Lewis was a prophet? Was the most astounding prophet but because, and how his perceptions of how the kingdom of God was meant to work were incredible. But because of the day in which he lived, he could never say them publicly. And so he wrote about the kingdom of God and put it in a chronicle of Narnia. Now, it doesn't matter what Hollywood's done to it, but I'm telling you now, the man was prophesying about Peter. Edmund, Susan, and Lucy. And you know what? Those of you that have seen the movies know when they first enter into Narnia, the realm of the spirit, they're timid, they're shy, they're broken, they're suffering from an orphan spirit. This is one of those scenes in that movie where they look at each other and say, maybe we were mislabeled. And friends, the father woke me up one morning years and years ago and said 99% of my people that love me today have been mislabeled and they don't realize it. And I want to tell you tonight that you are not what life has told you you are. You are who he says you are. You are his son. You are his daughter. But friends, listen to me. Listen to me. When, 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 they, come, when they come into the second time they enter Narnia, in the second movie, notice any difference? Oh, yeah. Now they stride in. Man, the, mo the moment they step through into the realm of the spirit, what happens? Oh, now they're kings, now they're queens. They, 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 they are ordinary school kids in the world of the natural. But the moment they walk into the realm of the spirit, what happens? Oh, they become kings and queens. They're wielding swords. They're giving orders. They're amazing. Miraculous things start to happen. He was prophesying. And so what made the difference? What on earth made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference. They had an encounter, a revelation moment, an encounter with Aslan, who C.S. Lewis 
was deliberately prophesying about the line of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it was very deliberate on his part. And, and, and so the, these kids who are just orphaned kids who believe what the world told them they were, they had an encounter, and in that encounter, he takes the rags off them. He puts a royal robe on them. He puts a crown on their head, and he says, from this day on, you're kings and you're queens. And I'll tell you what, once a king in Narnia, always a king in Narnia. And I'll tell you what, from that day on, nothing could intimidate them. Nothing could put them under. Why? Because now they knew who they were. And in these last two or three moments, I'm going to show you that Narnia clip. But when I do so, it's not for entertainment. It's that you visually might be assisted in having an aha moment. So do not, do not get caught up with, with silly-looking guys who clothed hooves and hair and trying to symbolize that, okay? That's what Hollywood did to it. But, but, but my friends, listen to me. When he wrote it, when he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he was trying to tell us something that ordinary people, no matter how broken their world was, no matter how often their spirit was, once they got touched, once the crown of heaven was placed upon them, they were world changers. And God gave them a jewel passport. <laughs> in the realm of the natural, in the realm of the natural, they were still cool, school kids. But the moment they put their feet into Narnia, they were kings and queens. And you need to know tonight that you have a jewel passport. In your American passport, you might be a lawyer or a doctor or a garbage collector or a nurse or a school kid, but in the realm of the spirit, your passport is stamped royal son, royal daughter, and there is no disputing it. Every demon in hell knows that. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to take a moment. When you see this, it's not a light moment. I want you to see the King of Kings and the Lord of glory placing that crown on your head. Because, my friends, that's what Jesus paid that incredible price for. He didn't do it so you could just escape hell. He, obviously, that was part of the redemptive plan, but he was fulfilling, he was fulfilling an eternal desire of the Father when he had in the beginning with a son and a daughter in the garden that it was taken from him, and he sent Jesus that he might restore sons and daughters to their father, that they might walk with him in the garden and hear the whispers of heaven and go out and execute it upon the earth that his will will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. So it's personal for you tonight. Let's just roll it.
Professor knew we were coming. Perhaps we've been incorrectly labelled. Mrs. McCready? I'm afraid so. Is this it then? Haven't you brought anything else? No, Mum. It's just us. Small favours. I give you Queen Lucy, the Valiant. <sighs> to the great western wood, Southern Sun, Queen Susan, the Gentle, and to the clear northern sky, I give you King Peter, the Magnificent. Once a king or queen of Narnia, always a king or queen. May your wisdom grace us until the stars rain down from the heavens. See what made them, what made them so incredibly different from that time on, and I just want you to rivet for a moment with us, is because they understood something that Jesus marveled at when he saw it in the centurion. This this Roman man suddenly understood something about the kingdom of God that even his disciples had not been able to understand. He said, all you have to do is send a word and my servant will be healed because I perceive that you are a man under authority. And because I am a man under authority, listen to me, because I'm a man under authority, I say they go and they go. I say come and they come. Why? Because I too am a man 
under authority. And friends, listen to me. The authority you're under determines the authority you carry. It's got nothing to do with your background. It's got nothing to do with your personality. It's got nothing to do with your circumstance. The authority you're under determines the authority you carry. And when you wake up in the morning and you realize that you're a man and a woman under divine command, you realize that the, if you are under the authority of Jesus, you carry the authority of Jesus. You are unconditionally accepted. You are indescribably loved. Your father put Jesus on the cross because he wanted you as a son, not as a religious individual, not just as a disciple, not just as a, as a person going to church on Sunday. He wanted a son. He wanted a daughter. And he'd do it all again if you're the only person on the planet. Why? Because he just happens to love you that much. Can we have our heads bowed for a moment? I don't know hardly a person in the building, but maybe there is individuals here tonight that do not know Jesus as Lord, as Savior. You've, you've, you've never had the awesome moment of crowning him king of your life and having him welcome you into the loving embrace of your father because that's his job you know when you confess your sin and, and, and cry out to him he not only forgives you but he makes you a whole new person and if that if that decision is totally real and authentic some miracle that we'll never understand but Father breathes into you the Holy Spirit and you're born again by his seed. And from that moment on, you're his son, you're his daughter, and you can go through life knowing that you're indescribably loved by your Father. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus, never made him king, tonight is your night. Please raise your hand right now. Nobody's looking, everybody's, eye, eyes are, everybody's in prayer. But I don't know, maybe there's somebody in this building. And Jesus would stop the whole planet for one. God bless you, my awesome in the middle. I've got your hand. Great. Is there anyone else? Another one over here. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. Another one over to my right. Thank you. All the heavens rejoicing for you. All the heavens rejoicing for you. Is there anybody else? Anybody at all? You say, you don't know what I did last year. Well, it doesn't matter. You see, that's the wonder of grace. It doesn't matter. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Those of you that raise your hands, don't leave the building tonight without somebody. Maybe 
Okay, when the, when the service is closing and we're starting to sing and there's another one out here, Lord bless you. Praise the Lord. Over there, when, when the service is drawing to a close, we're starting to sing um, one final time. Would you like to get out of your seat and bring a friend with you if necessary? And these, and right over here, this young lady that's waving at you over here, just make a beeline for her. And they just want to pray with you, introduce you to Jesus. And, and you, you must not leave the building without doing that. You can go home a whole new person tonight. And now, because what we do, listen to me, you, next Sunday is Shredder Sunday. But you know what? And I think it's going to be a powerful Sunday. But right now, right now, I wonder how many would like to cross a scary line of unconditional surrender and say, Father, from this night on, I'm never going to question again. I'm not going to try to be super spiritual. I'm not going to try to be religious. I am going to accept that you're my father. And I am going to love up on my father. I'm going to pour my gratitude to my father. And I'm going to set time aside, not because I have to have a quiet time, but because I want to hear my father's voice. I want to whispers of heaven. And I'm going to walk this life with a dual passport if I'm a, a carpenter or, or if I'm a mechanic or if I'm an accountant that's okay but I know who I am I walk into that environment and, the, and, and a true living breathing son of my father daughter of my father has walked into that environment I will never be intimidated again if that's you stand up now and give him all your praise in Jesus name Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.